right, we're going to start again this week in Luke 15 and read the story of the prodigal son that we talked about last week. I'm going to relay some groundwork and then we'll go somewhere new with it this morning. So, Luke 15, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his feed, fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. And I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening, and we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And so the party began. Yeah. All right, there's a lot that we could unpack out of that parable. Um, it's probably the most famous story in world history, actually. There's so much we can learn, but last week and today, I'm focusing on how the father handles his son's rebellion and disobedience. And what I said last week, just to remind you if you were here and if you weren't here, just to catch you up, is uh, they've been talking for almost two months now about surrender. And I pointed out that the father surrenders his son. He just lets him go do what he wants to do. Without an argument, without any resistance, he just surrenders him. We have Jesus here displaying God as a parent of a rebellious and disobedient and ungrateful child. So God is the perfect father. How does this godly, mature, patient, wise parent deal with a sinful, rebellious, lost child? And what Jesus shows us is that God surrenders him to his own desires. He doesn't nag him. He doesn't preach at him. He doesn't scold him. There's no I told you so's. It's just... Surrender when he goes, and the father is still completely surrendered when he gets back. He doesn't stick his finger in his face, say, I told you, you wasted all my money. There's none of that chewing out. So my point last week was that God doesn't just require surrender of us. He surrenders himself. He, he does it himself. He surrenders us to us, to ourselves, and then waits for us to come to our senses 
so that we will return and surrender back to him. And that's not only true in parenting, it's true in every single relationship we have. Um, is that we have to surrender other people to the Lord. Uh, but let's just stick with parenting for a moment as my example. I have four young adult children, almost 23, 21, 20, and now 18 as of this week. And as dad, I could try treating them like they're six. I could just say, no, you're not going to do that. You're only going to do what I want. And you're only going to make decisions that I approve of. And I don't approve of that decision, so you can't do that. And if I insist on that, that just gets more and more contentious. All the parents of adult children are amening that. The forcefulness doesn't work. It just creates contention and arguing. I can't yell. I can't preach. I can't force, physically force them to make the decisions I want them to make. So no amount of that will work. So just putting a little bit of pressure, a little bit of preaching, a little bit of scolding is no better. And Jesus demonstrates the Father knows that from the beginning. So from the very beginning, he's just quiet. He's just surrendered. There's not an attempt to argue his son into common sense and making a good, wise, moral decision. He's just surrendered right from the very beginning. Or with my adult children, I could say to them, oh yeah, you're an adult now. You can make your decisions. But then when they do something I don't like, I give them the silent treatment. Or I pout. Or I make sure that they know I disapprove. And it's not okay. That's manipulation. If I say, oh yes, you're free to make your own decisions and call on your shots in your life, but then I make sure that they pay a relational cost with me because they, I don't approve of what they did. And, and the father doesn't do that either. So forcefulness and preaching isn't going to work. And manipulation is really dirty. I could... When my kids do things I don't approve of, I could be quiet, but inside I'm full of seething angst. I'm so angry I'm about to blow up because I'm just biting my tongue. I just, oh, I'm so mad at what they're doing. Notice that what isn't what the father in this story is doing either. He's not forcing or controlling his son. He's not manipulating or guilt-tripping or silent-treatmenting his son. He's not being quiet while secretly full of angst. Father is at perfect peace, letting his son go down the road to the pig pen. What is that? That is surrender. 
as dad with young adult kids, I can, I can be free to give my parental input once. And then truly let them make their decisions. I'm free to be dad and say what I want to say. But saying it a second or third or fourth time is pointless. And it's either manipulation or forcefulness. Then, if I am going to be like God in this story, I have to complete, after I've said whatever I need to say once, then I have to surrender and let them do what they want. That is real authority. That's real freedom. That's real truth and surrender. This applies in, in every relationship. So if you're a school teacher, think of you with your kids in your class. If you're an employer or a manager, think of the people that you have to lead or manage at work. If you're a minister in any sense in, in the church, the people that you lead minister to. Or this might just apply to you and your siblings. But we all know there are people who will listen and are receptive, and sometimes even shockingly so, humble and cooperative. And then there are people who don't want to hear anything you have to say. I see the school teachers smiling and nodding. Yeah. There are people with just an attitude, a chip on their shoulder, and they are not going to take instruction from the boss or from the school teacher or whatever your role is, there's people on both extremes. There are extremely helpful, open, compliant, receptive people, and there are extremely hard, bad attitude, do the opposite of what you say people, and then everybody else is in the middle somewhere on that spectrum. So... Using the Father in this parable as our example, our relationships with each other are proportional to the other person's receptivity. Because if you're a school teacher or a manager at work, you know there are some people you can just go to them and say, I need you to do this and I need it done by 2 o'clock, and they're like, yes, it's going to happen. And then other people, if you're going to give them an instruction at work, you have to be really careful about how you say it, and sometimes it's not even worth it. I'll just go to this other person over here because this per- it's just going to be a fight. So our relationships with people are determined by their receptivity to us. And whatever relationship we can't have right now is what we have to surrender to God. This is what the father in Jesus' story did. His son was at the far end of the spectrum. I want all your money, and I want out of here. And I want it today, and I'm gone today. And the the father understands. There isn't going to be any talking him out of this. There isn't any point in preaching at him. There isn't any point even in trying to reason with him. He just instantly surrenders. James 3 13 to 17 tells us this. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show that his works are done in the humility of wisdom. Wisdom is from heaven, is peace-loving, and willing to yield. The wisdom from heaven is humble, peace-loving, and willing to yield. If that's God's instruction for us, if that's his wisdom for us to have, obviously he is that way, and Jesus demonstrates him that way in this story, that the wisdom of God is that I am willing to yield. Yield is not necessarily an everyday word outside of a traffic sign. It means to give in. It means to give in or back down. It's how God relates to each one of us, and it's how we have to relate to each other. To be read, instantly ready to yield. So that there isn't contention. We have in the story the surrender of a parent to the child, but it could be a husband surrendering to his wife or you're surrendering to your sister or your stepmom or if they're not going to listen, surrender. And surrender is not just biting our tongue. Let me remind you of this from last week. Starts with biting our tongue. But it isn't just biting our tongue. It begins with not arguing or scolding or correcting. But surrender is being in real peace. Having real joy, genuine love for the person that's walking out the door. Or who's causing drama at work or whatever. The father just relinquishes control. Yes, son, I'm not going to cause contention by trying to stop you. I see that that isn't going to work. So I'm going to stand here at the end of the driveway with my heart cracking open and I'm going to be quiet and let you do it. And that story is proportional in each one of us according to our rebellion and selfishness or our surrender and obedience and receptivity to what God has to tell us. Every one of us is the prodigal son. Some in the room right now, you've completely run away from God and you've never come, come back home. But most of us, I think you, you've left the pig pen and come back home, but you know there's still areas in your life or you'd rather not hear what dad has to say. There's areas in everybody's heart, every heart in this room. You have areas in your life you don't want to hear what God has to say. I still want to control that. I still want to have my hands on my money. I still want to have my hands on my hobby. Or I still want to control this or that. And so the story applies to every one of us. How does God handle our desire to be in control? He instantly yields. Okay, Mitch. Yes. You can stay in the pig pen in that area if you want. I'll wait for you to come to your senses and come home. God has surrendered me to me. And he yields instantly without the least coercion when I refuse him.
But then when trouble comes, we love to comfort ourselves with the phrase, well, God is in control. I touched on this briefly last week, and all the people who haven't heard that sermon before from me had a heart attack. And I got a lot of questions and comments and concern. And so I know that several of you have heard this before, but it was a new idea to a whole bunch of people last week. So I want to expand on it this morning. We say God is in control, and we sing it, and it's in our Hallmark greeting cards. It is a Christian radio cliche that we love to comfort ourselves with. God is in control. But God is not in control if we refuse to give him that control. Because he is a father who instantly yields to my refusal to obey. If I want to hang on to control in a certain area, it's like, all right, Mitch, yeah, I'm not going to fight you. You go down that road. I know, Mitch, where that road goes. It goes to the pig pen. But if that's where you insist on going today, I'm not going to fight you. I will wait for you to come back and surrender. So we say God is in control, but, but your bad diet and lack of exercise and lack of fasting shows that he's actually not really in control of your body. Your refusal to tithe shows that he's not in control of your money. Your words show that he is not in control of your mouth. God is in control except for your temper, except for your emotions, except for your eyes and ears when you're scrolling on your phone. God's in control except for your unforgiveness. God's in control except for your sin. But in all the rest of the stuff, God's in control. <laughs> That's not much is left. Not much is left. What does God do in all of these situations? He surrenders. He yields. He lets go. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. It is God's will that no one would go to hell. But many do. So is God in control? Not in the sense of scripting events. Not in the sense of forcefully grabbing my shoulders and making me go where he wants me to go. Not in the sense of manipulation of if I don't do what he likes, he's going to stand there and pout about it. He is completely at peace and at ease with surrendering me to my own decisions and with the desperate, heartbreaking hope that I will return. But he's made me free. Jesus, when he went to his hometown Nazareth, the Bible says he couldn't do any miracles. Doesn't say he wouldn't. Doesn't say he didn't. He says he couldn't because they didn't believe. What is that? That's Jesus' instant yieldedness to what they believed and didn't believe. You know, I'm not going to fight you, and I'm not going to make something happen that you don't want to happen. So God is in control only 
of what is surrendered to him. This is the point of everything I have preached so far about surrender in the last two months. God is in control only of what is surrendered to him. God is in control only of what is surrendered to him. He surrendered his son, and then Jesus turned that around and returned complete surrender to his father, so everything that happened in Jesus' life was perfect. Because Jesus was perfectly obedient. And God has surrendered control of you to you, and he awaits your response. He surrendered his prodigal son. He knows he can't say much. Today's not the day. The day will come. God has great faith. God has great faith. Did you know that? God has to have faith. The Bible says, have the faith of God. (laughs) God has great faith. He said, today is not the day. But I know things will get so bad for him, he will come to his senses and he will come back. And he's so loving and gentle and kind and patient, patient beyond our capacity to imagine, that he just stands there while in terrible heartbreak, wishing his son would just come home and be with him and let's get along and let's have fun and let's work together and let's be at peace, but just patience, patience, patience. And so in that area of your life, where, wherever that applies to you, that you are the prodigal who hasn't come home yet, he's not in control, you are. And then there's another obedient and submitted son who will accept whatever the father says. And in those areas where that's you, where you are yielded and surrendered to him, he is in control. Part of our desire when we say God is in control, part of what we want is we want to be that guy in the boat on the ocean that I talked to you about a few weeks ago. We want to be irresponsible, unresponsible. That's that's a better word. We want to be unresponsible. I just want to believe that I'm adrift in this sea of life and whatever happens to me is what God planned and God gets blamed for a lot of what the devil does and a lot of what other people do and a lot of what I do. Well, it all happens for a reason. Yes, and the reason today is, Mitch, you screwed up. (laughs) We want to be victims so that we're not responsible. We want to be that guy in the boat, and the waves and the wind are just tossing us, and, and God, you're in control, and whatever happens is must be mysteriously your will. God controlled, we'll put that in finger quotes, God controlled Jesus' life only through his surrendered obedience. Everything that happened to Jesus and everything that happened through Jesus, it was God's will, for sure, because Jesus was surrendered and only comes through obedience. But Mitch, we just sang sovereign over us, that, that God is in charge of everything. Yes, and I love that song, and I specifically asked Ted for it. Because I love that song. It is so supremely wonderful to know that God is working everything for good. 
But that statement alone, that Bible verse alone, God is working all things for good, proves that God is not controlling events. He isn't scripting things. He's redeeming everything. In fact, he's such a good redeemer that he gets blamed a lot for, well, this must have been God's plan because it worked out so well. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It would have been a lot better if we'd obeyed in the beginning. But he just redeems it so beautifully that it seems like it was the right path. Looking backward, like, no, you remember how it was a few years ago? That was not God's path. He's just come in and done a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful redemption. So he is working all things for good. But that verse says, to those who are willing to be conformed to the image of Christ. There's the surrender. When we surrender to him, then, then yes, absolutely, he is he's in charge. He's directing events. He's redeeming everything. And as we sing, you're sovereign over us. And even what the enemy means for evil, you're turning for our good. That's us expressing our faith. That's our surrender. That's us laying it down and making him sovereign so he is. So the ones who sing that and believe that scripture in honest truth, it becomes true. It becomes real in your life. So is God in control? Absolutely. If you mean it and if you give it. Most all of the promises in scripture, most all of God's promises begin with an if. If you will do this, this will happen. If you will do this, I will do this. That's opposed by the Greek idea of fate, which is our victim mentality that some predestined fate has been decided for us and I'm just living through events. I'm a helpless observer in my own life. None of this is my fault. It's all just God's mysterious will. And that idea of fate has carried over into our concept of God that just Well, it's all God's will and whatever happens is. But the the Hebrew idea was, listen to me closely. The Hebrew idea is God is with us. And God is for us. He responds to what I do. And he and I are working together as I obey him. His blessings and promises happen in my life. When Joshua and the army lose their second battle, they fight Jericho and win a glorious battle, and then they fight at Ai, and they they get tromped. And Joshua doesn't tell the Israelites, well, you win some, you lose some. I guess it's God's will. No, he falls on his face. He strips his clothes, pours ashes on his head, and falls before God and says, God, who sinned? Where did we miss you, God? Where did we disobey? Because this isn't you. He knew from the very beginning it was not God's will. Where did we sin? Where did we miss it? So the Greeks have the idea of the fates controlling and scripting history. The Hebrews had the idea of, I am partnering with God, and as I obey, he fights with me. And for me through the circumstances of my life. So I'm here this morning to invite you to surrender. To give in to God today. 
Maybe somebody in the room, you never have done that at all. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered and admitted your need for him and repented of your sin. But I know most of you in the room, and I know most of you have, but we still all have another thing we have yet to surrender. So I invite you to give in to God today and surrender whatever you've been holding out on. Somebody knows there's something he's been asking you to do or something he's been asking you to give up. There's some move or change or something he's asking you to give away. Surrender what you've been holding on to. Some of you need to surrender what you don't understand. You're trying so hard to understand. Why, God? Why? Why did this happen? Why did this not happen, God? Why did you let that? Just, just surrender. Some of you need to surrender what you do understand. You think you do know what the answer is. You need to surrender that. Surrender those you love that are making choices you'd rather them not make. So one of the bravest things you can do is to surrender the people you care about so deeply who are making destructive choices. So give them to Jesus. Yield where you need to yield and let them go down the road to the pig pen if that's what they demand. Surrender to God's timing when it sure seems like he's too late. Let him have his timing. Surrender to his silence. Whatever he's not explaining to you right now, let him be quiet. Surrender to his discipline. If he brings up something in you that he would like you to change, do it without arguing. Yield to him. Surrender to joy in your thoroughly unjoyful circumstance. Give him the sacrifice of joy. Surrender to that. Surrender to forgive every offense every day. Surrender your mouth to speak only what is loving and beneficial. Surrender your eyes and your ears when you're online. Surrender your money. Surrender your time. Surrender your body. Just give your body to Jesus. And let him be Lord. Surrender to obey him no matter what. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And no matter what, absolutely never do not lean on what you think you understand. In every road, look for him. and He will make your paths straight. Then he will be in control. Thank you, Jesus, for the supreme peace of knowing that you are working all things for our good. Thank you that you cover us with your authority, with your responsibility, with your love, with your care, with your provision. Thank you, Lord, that when we don't understand, you do. When we don't know the answers, you do. When we have no hope, you have all hope. 
Lord, we receive your word that you are a wise father and you are a yielding father, peace-loving and willing to yield. You don't fight us. You are just at peace. And so, Lord, we surrender to you because we don't want to fight you either. We don't want to resist you in any way. We want to also be instantly yielding to your spirit and to your word, to your authority. Lord, we don't want to be your prodigal sons and daughters who insist on our own way, go down our own path, not caring what's in your heart. But this is where we lay it down, right here. Everything we think we want, everything we're scared of, everything we're angry about, everything we're worried about, we just lay it down right here. We surrender to you and we give you control through our obedience and through our surrender. You direct our steps.